Welcome to Intimacy Architecture with Christiane Bella. This call-in radio show is here to help you discover the power of your intimacy. So join us with your questions for Christiane and her world-renowned guests, authors, speakers, and doctors. Together, they will help you build a life you love. This is a shame-free space where no topic is taboo. Here is your host, Christiane Bella. Hello, hello, and greetings, everybody. Welcome. Good evening. I am Christiane Bella, and you are listening to Intimacy Architecture Radio, helping you to build a life you love. Tonight, my guest is author Allison Moon. Allison is a sex educator and author of award-winning books, including The Guide to Girl Sex 101 and a new release coming out, Getting It, which is a guide to hot, healthy hookups and shame-free sex. And that is what we are talking about tonight, shame-free sex. So welcome, Allison. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for being here. Um, So I've read Girl Sex. I've taught classes around stuff. I mean, it is one of my like favorite, go- it's, it's, <laughs> I feel like it should be required reading. I may even like put it on my, and be like, before you come and work with me, you need, this is like your prerequisite. Um, because I feel like it covers so much in the world of the, the kind of conversations you need to create trust, to really drop into that pleasure and enjoy sex. Um, I think, you know, no matter who you're having sex with, but if you are having sex with someone who identifies as a woman or even in that spectrum, I and mean, I love how you get into like transgender. I mean, you really cover so many bases. So, um, so I'm so excited to have you here. I'm like totally nerding out on it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So um, how did you come to write? I mean, cause like I said, girls, it's, a, it's like this Bible of information. Mm-hmm. So where did it start for you in just, you know, observing your experiences and deciding I'm going to like collect these and and create this. Sure. Well, Girl Sex 101 began as a shop on the playa at Burning Man in, oh gosh, 2007. I think Uh, I was part of a camp called Camp Beaverton for Wayward Mm -hmm. Girls, which is a camp for queer women. And we just had workshops. And at that point I was a baby sex educator Mm -hmm. and what ended up happening, I, I started this work and it was dusted out by a dust storm. If anyone listening is familiar <laughs> with Burning Man, that happens quite regularly. Mm-hmm. And then we did it right the next day and uh, we had just, it was a dome just with like seven or eight women and genderqueer people sitting around talking about our experiences. And it was this really beautiful moment because it made me realize, I think a lot of women, a lot of queer people take for granted that we should just know everything because ostensibly we have all the same body parts, which isn't actually, um, but oftentimes we believe that, well, you know, I should know this, right? And Mm -hmm. hanging out with other people who had sex with women, it made us maybe just understand that that's actually not the case. We, everybody's body is different. Everybody's put together differently. Mm -hmm. Even if you do have all the same parts, that doesn't mean that you like them touched in the same way. And so Mm -hmm. having, uh, having a workshop where we got to kind of just share our experiences was really healing. It was beautiful. And it made me that there was information and there was Mm -hmm. a need for the kind of information was really respecting the diversity, uh, you know, the quote-unquote female experience. And diversity is the rule in sex. And being able to write something that really honored the diversity of bodies and experiences was necessary. Um, And so 
Uh, I realized I started teaching this workshop on a regular basis. I taught at, you know, different sex toy stores all around the country. I've taught at universities. And then I realized that I wanted to have information shared in places that I couldn't reach physically. I couldn't go to in workshop spaces. So a book became the natural choice. And that became a really great choice because I have people from all over the world who write me saying that they really helped them. I'm particularly moved by the transgender women who reached out to me because they're there are sources for trans women around sex, but there are very few. Yeah. And this being a comprehensive book that's about lesbian sex that includes, just unashamedly includes women with penises, mm-hmm. was very important to me. And yeah. I realized how important it was to women all over the world. And that, that really, that made me feel that I had done the right thing for sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's five years old now this year, and I'm very proud of it. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. That's awesome. And now you have a new book coming out, uh, Getting It, which is the guide to hot, healthy hookups and shame-free sex. So where did you, uh, what was the moment where you were like, okay, there's more to say that's kind of even more inclusive, you know, as inclusive as I feel like girls are even more inclusive um, yeah. to create this like general guide. And, and what about shame in particular? Were you like, all right, this is, you know, in order to have this hot, healthy sex, you can't have shame. Like where was that sure. connection made for you? Yeah, well, the idea really came from, like, there are plenty of men who buy Girl Sex 101 because they want to understand how women have sex. And I think it's great. I'd say about half of my readers are cisgender men, and I love that. Um, But at the same time, they are definitely reading a book that's by women, for women, about women. And so they have to kind of work their way into the the material in certain ways, and they have to self-select as men who about that, which I wish more men did. But, you know, the ones who read my book are wonderful. So I decided I wanted to write a book that was for everybody. And I wanted to write a book that was not necessarily just about the nuts and bolts of body parts Mm -hmm. and pleasure, but really about the the niceties, the etiquette of Mm -hmm. having casual sex. I feel like so many of the books about hookup culture or casual sex can be kind of shamey, or they can be, you know, they're they're guides to how to have sex on your way to finding the one, right? And for me, I'm non-monogamous, and I have casual sex as part of my normal sex life. I'm a nerd, and I still have sex with other people. And so for me, it was important to write a book that's about, that that treats casual sex as with the value that I think it really bestows on a lot of people, Mm -hmm. that casual sex doesn't have to be empty. It doesn't have to be callous. It doesn't have to be, you know, treating the other person as less than human. Mm -hmm. It can be just as fulfilling, as holistic, just as enriching as any other kind of sex. Mm -hmm. Um, But we have to, we have to learn to really kind of ourselves the chance to experience it that way and really honor it for what is in order for us to not kind of try and sweep it under the rug is just something that we do when we're when we're desperate or lonely right Right. yeah exactly and um and so that kind of ties into shame because Mm -hmm. I think one of the biggest problems with people feeling empty around sex or feeling treated poorly by their partners comes from shame it comes from the shame that we feel about wanting to, like being lonely. We feel ashamed right. to be lonely. We feel ashamed to for the reasons why we seek mm. out casual sex or sex at all. Uh, we feel shame because of our God or our family or our culture. There's so many different places that yeah. shame comes from. And all of that adds up to 
individuals not living their fully lives and not giving themselves permission to have joy and pleasure mm-hmm. in their life. And I think that that is uh, that's a real just to say so. I think it's it 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 denigrates what I think is a really part of of humanity. Mm-hmm. And I think that we're going to be okay with you know agree if we can agree as a culture that it's okay to have sex outside of lines of marriage, if it's okay to have not relationships, if it's okay to choose your partners for whatever reasons you choose them, mm-hmm. we also have to agree that shame is, is going to inhibit our ability mm-hmm. to be as fully self-expressed and as, as joyful as, we, as we'd as we like to be. And I think it's really important for us to do the work to try and find where shame is in our lives, mm-hmm. pinpoint mm-hmm. it, name it, and start to dismantle it. Yeah. Absolutely. Get to know it, you know, like anything else. I feel like Mm -hmm. nothing, nothing can be, or maybe not as misunderstood if you're willing to look at it, if you're willing to kind of dig in and look at it and, and unearth it, um, then the the misunderstanding of it is a lot. And the more we feel like we understand something, the easier it is to accept and embrace and appreciate and then ultimately celebrate, you know, celebrate these parts of ourselves that are like, yeah, I am going to enjoy this. And that doesn't diminish who I am as a person um, or make any of, you know, I think for me anyway, a big piece, something I see in my work and something I worked through myself was this idea of like, was this belief even mine? You know, like at what point was I... Mm-hmm. I mean, I like got in, you know, somebody else was like, here's this shame concept. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll take it. Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know why you're giving it to me, but sure. And then at one point I looked, I was like, this was never mine. Um, and so mm-hmm. just to really understand that and decide like, well, your ethics or your moral code, you get to create that. Like you get to decide what works for you and what doesn't and, you know, and put down things that don't fucking belong to you. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I think you absolutely nailed it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's this idea that, that these things are inherited, and some inherited from our parents, from our priests, from our politicians, but they come from somewhere, and they don't come intrinsically because we do not come out of the womb fearing our sexuality or fearing pleasure. Somebody yeah. teaches us to. Uh, we have mm-hmm. plenty of evidence that fetuses even, you know, self-pleasure in the right. womb. Um, and somebody teaches us that that's wrong or private or shameful. Yeah. And uh, I think it's really important for us to realize that, that that's that's a gift that mm-hmm. we can return. Yeah. Right? That's something that we do not have to keep. If, if, if it doesn't serve, if it looks bad on our mantle, we can go ahead and give it yeah. goodwill and walk away. <laughs> I love that. I know. I'm a firm believer that the universe has the best exchange this exchange system and you can return anything to the universe <laughs> and it just like mm-hmm. in the ethers you're good you're set no receipt required like just give it back <laughs> um so I would love to talk a little bit about the idea because for me when I thought about you know like well where were the moments in the life in my life where like shame showed up and stopped me from doing something I wanted to do. And it was the idea of being a slut was very much packaged into that. Um, And so where do you see this like reclaiming of, you know, being a slut as like, you know, this, this positive indication um, kind of tied in with this release of shame and, and really giving yourself permission to have pleasure. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think that slut is a word that some people can reclaim, but based on their comfort with it. I certainly don't think that everybody has to claim that mm-hmm. word. It is lo- very loaded. I think like any sort of idea of reclamation, it's really up to you and what kind of power that you want to let that mm-hmm. word imbue. Um, I think that 
you know, choose that is to really kind of choose baggage and acknowledge the baggage and say, I defy this baggage. I, I refuse to let this baggage define me. And I think that that's a really powerful choice. I think that, you know, when we hear these words, especially in like casual culture, we notice the power sometimes. Because, you know, for instance, I identify as queer. And I've like, I went back to my parents' house for, you know, Christmas back in the before times when we could see each other for the holidays. And I had a bunch of friends over for the holidays. I just casually mentioned, like, it's a book about, like, Girl Sex 101. It's a book about queer women for queer women. And the woman I was talking to, I could see her kind of her spine got a little straighter and she got a little nervous um, because she wanted to engage with me in this conversation. She wasn't afraid mm -hmm. of me or what I was saying, but you could see that she was afraid to interact with the word. She didn't want to say yeah. queer. It's not a word that she's she should say mm -hmm. based on her own cultural upbringing. And mm -hmm. in her world, it's still very much a slur. And I totally mm -hmm. value the history of the yeah. word for a lot of people. Um, and I've cho chosen to reclaim it for that reason. Right. For, for the word slut, I think a lot of people choose to reclaim it for a, a lot of different reasons. I've, in the past, I've said that I'm a selective slut, which is to say, like, yeah. I have had sex with people I've known for less than 10 minutes. Um, but those right. people were really special. Um, I also know plenty yeah. of people who are, you know, less selective sluts, and that's also great. Um, I think that the way I see a lot of people reclaiming the word slut is, uh, I mean, a lot of men claiming it, which I think is great because it, I think it helps de-gender the word, which has almost always mm -hmm. been very mm -hmm. gendered in the past. Um, right. But I think that the way I see people, it's like, you know, that this idea that pleasure is good and that um, that sexual pleasure is a good thing. And I think Dossie right. Easton and Ethical Slut Party, uh, her mm -hmm. co-writer in The Ethical Slut, talked about that this notion that pleasure is good for you um, and that mm -hmm. sexual pleasure is a good thing in this world. Yeah. And just if that makes you a slut, then okay, so be it. Right? Um, mm -hmm. But I think that there is a lot of power in that the that very fraught word being reclaimed as one mm -hmm. of saying, hey, just let's focus on this. Sex is okay. Mm -hmm. And in, in a sex negative culture, Saying that sex is okay is mm -hmm. actually a very radical thing. Um, and we do yeah. live in a negative culture in, in so many ways. Um, mm -hmm. So I think it's, it's, a, it's a very powerful choice to reclaim slut. And I think I, I admire people who do it no matter what. Yeah, I love that. So um, let's jump in a little bit because the term sex negative culture, and, and some people may be familiar with the term sex positive culture um, and, and this movement to create sex positivity. And I feel like debunking shame is a huge part of that. Where do you feel like your path in this more sex positive mentality started? That... I mean, my, my personal history is, is I'm very grateful to have had parents who very much wanted me to have my own sovereignty, my own bodily sovereignty, mm. which is something that a lot of people don't get. So from a young age, I, I was, knew that my body was mine and that mm. nobody got to tell me what to do with it. Um, and yeah. I think that that's, you know, my, my mother was a feminist and my father was a, a nurse. Mm -hmm. And so for him, he wanted to teach me all the right words to use for my body. And so I was the kid yeah. in Catholic yeah. school who was teaching my the classmates the words vulva and scrotum. And so I mm -hmm. think that that's really been incredibly valuable for me. I think sex positivity and like finding my way into that was about just seeing a lot of messaging and and having it not feel right, right? Like I would go to church yeah. and they would say stuff and I would be like, eh. yeah. 
I don't know how I feel about that. Um, I would go to, you know, in sex ed class, they taught us that abstinence was the best choice and that if you had sex with somebody before you got married, you were devaluing yourself. And her voice that said that doesn't sound right mm-hmm. and for yeah. where maybe it's because of my good parenting or you mm-hmm. know healthy upbringing but ultimately sex positivity came from just a ability to question the narrative and yeah. really see the sex negative comment for the weak sauce that mm-hmm. they were so mm-hmm. I, I'm very I'm very grateful for that because I think that that's yeah. the hardest part for so many people is to just even identify when you're getting the wrong mm-hmm. messages and to learn to listen to your instincts and, and your intuition about whether or not they're lying. Right to trust yourself and be like this is what yeah resonates mm-hmm. with me and my body and my emotions and my I love that. Um, no, I mean I think the ability to question. I mean, there's a lot of empowerment there that often when you have these messages kind of being thrown at you there also is this aspect of which of of telling you like we're saying this and you don't get to question it and so this Mm -hmm. questioning is in itself this rebellious act and um and and this you know search to to know what your truth is not the truth or this perceived you know version of somebody else's uh truth Mm -hmm. so to speak um so we have just a couple minutes till break um so I, I would just love to kind of circle back around to this idea of how denying yourself pleasure does kind of like affect your life, you know, in, in ways, where do you see it? Um, Cause I see it a lot with, with clients that I have is that they, they turn off the, the sex faucet, so to speak, and like other areas of their life have a drought, you know, whether it's, you know, yeah. the fa- other family relationships or work things or creativity. And mm-hmm. what did you see that kind of inspired you to say like, yeah, we have to be having this conversation about, you know, deserving pleasure? Well, yeah, because I think it's not just sexual, right? It's, it's We can feel shame about pleasure in general. I think that when we when we feel bad playing a hooky on a beautiful sunny day, when we feel bad having a chocolate a piece of chocolate cake, mm-hmm. right? These things of like they're not bad things. There's no value yeah. attached to this. But we have we live in a very productivity prizing society. Mm. We live in a, a society that wants us to control ourselves just for the sake of control. Mm. Not we're going to like that. Not that having that chocolate cake is going to ruin the world, and not that right. calling off calling out sick is going to damage the business. Yeah. It's just that we. We want to buckle ourselves down because of this bizarre West ethic that that America particularly prizes, and so I think it's important to realize, like when we dis- deny ourselves pleasure in one field, in mm-hmm. one form, whether it's you know food, whether it's aesthetic, right. whether it's sexual, tend to get really good at 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 turning off the faucet mm-hmm. throughout all of our lives, and we we just feel bad about enjoying ourselves and of course that's wildly dangerous Mm -hmm. and i i I really want to encourage people to to pay attention where they are in their lives and and interrogating messaging and figuring out what's what's really underneath absolutely absolutely um and i'm excited to dive more into this as soon as we return back from break you are listening to intimacy architecture radio and our guest is allison moon we'll be back in just a moment Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
The holidays are just around the corner. Do you want to go through another round of fighting and avoiding your family? Or are you ready to build the life you love? Intimacy Architecture is here to help with our Relationship Reset Program, which combines individual and partner sessions. Learn communication techniques, self-awareness, and shift your approach to connection so you can restore trust and enjoy healthy relationships with those close to you. Visit IntimacyArchitect.com to enroll. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Intimacy Architecture. We want to hear from you on the show today. Call in to 1-866-472-5788. You know there's a question you have or something on your mind. That's 1-866-472-5788. Feeling shy? That's okay. Send an email to intimacyarchitect at gmail.com. Christiane might be answering you on an upcoming show. Now back to Intimacy Architecture. Welcome back, everyone. I am Christiane Bella, and you are listening to Intimacy Architecture Radio, helping you to build a life you love. Our guest this evening is Allison Moon, author of Girl Sex 101, which I have to tell you is one of my favorite books. Highly recommend it. And I'm super excited for her new release that is coming out on December 29th. So just a few weeks away, Getting It, A Guide to Hot, Healthy Hookups and Shame-Free Sex. And we were just talking about how you know, the importance of giving yourself permission to have pleasure and ultimately that if we kind of try to turn down too much or or even I think numb or dull, you know, one feeling or we kind of, we, it affects everything. Like you, you don't get to selectively turn off these parts of yourself. Um, and so, you know, the importance to really give yourself permission to, to be curious um, and really, you know, start to learn what it is that you, you want and find some people who are a hell yes to it. So um, let's talk a little bit about how casual sex, um, you know, I think like I was a child of, you know, the early, uh, early AIDS epidemic, you know, my, my only sex education was just like use condoms use condoms or you will die like that was pretty much mm-hmm. the extent of my sex education so where do you think um in a world now with like prep and all of this new you know all ways that we have to really um be be safer in our sex do you see a shift in the world of casual sex and how do you see that kind of playing out for people to get more curious Sure. Um, I was also a child who grew up in the era of AIDS. And so for me, I actually feel in a weird way grateful. I mean, not certainly not grateful for AIDS and the people that it took away from us, but the lessons that we learned f- from how to survive it. Mm-hmm. Because it taught us to get more dexterous in the ways in which we discussed sexual health. For a long time, you know, before mm-hmm. my era, it was talking about clap or VD and um, and or pregnancy, right? And and then with HIV/AIDS, we had to have a much more thoughtful conversation about specificity around how things are transmitted and how to have conversations with a, mm-hmm. a potential sex partner to see if we're on the same page. And so there, I think that we have gotten so much better as a culture at discussing 
the the nuances of sex, right? We can have really hot sex with somebody without having to share fluids. We can have really mm-hmm. hot sex with so- somebody without penetration. Mm-hmm. Um, or if we do want penetration, how can we protect ourselves, each other? Um, I think that this is, it, it, we, we've learned so much. And I think the, be- the more we can talk about it, the better we are. I think this, I say this in getting it, is that, you know, the only truly unsafe sex is the kind that we don't talk about. Ooh, that's good. Yeah, because we can have, I mean, again, you can be on prep, you can use condoms, we can decide certain acts that are on the table, certain acts that aren't. And this is not just about STIs, this is about emotional mm-hmm. health and boundaries, this is about relationship agreements. There are so many different ways to interact uh, and have juicy, sexy times with one another that that exist within the comfortable boundaries that we set for ourselves. Mm-hmm. But in order to do that, we need to figure out for ourselves what makes us feel safe. And so in order to do that, we need to educate ourselves on STIs, on certain BDSM practices that we're excited about that have certain risks. Mm -hmm. We need to talk to our partners potentially about what they need to feel safe. We need to have emotional safety boundaries. There's a lot to talk about. Um, But I think that this is what the gift of our generation is, is that we we have now agreed that it's it's good to talk about it. It's it's necessary to Mm -hmm. talk about it. And you can talk about it in advance on Tinder or Grindr before you meet up, or you can talk about it over dessert before you're heading back to their house. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do need to talk about it. And again, especially in this very, very difficult time around mm-hmm. communicable disease, um, we, we're, I find that sex nerds, people mm-hmm. like us, are mm-hmm. better equipped to talk about COVID because right. we're already used to talking to each other about emotional and physical safety boundaries because we're doing yeah. it all the time anyway. And so I think, you know, this idea that casual sex is is removed from these things is actually the opposite. Uh, I mean, I think that we always, I'm sure you've talked to people about this, that like the people who have the best he- sexual health practices tend to be porn stars, tend to be mm. sex workers, right? because it's in their best interest to make sure that everyone is healthy. Mm-hmm. And so they get tested regularly and they talk about it and they, and they, they're, they're just on top of it in a way that the average person is not. And so we can learn so much from those practices around sexual health by having the conversation, learning about the scary stuff, figuring out our own protocols, and then learning to communicate those protocols with our partners. Right. Because it's really only scary when you don't know, you know, the, the ability to, yeah, to like air it out is, you know, the monster under the bed is no longer a monster once he's in the light. Um, <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I mean, I'm a big advocate of, like, if we can't talk about it, we are not doing it. Like, mm-hmm. if, you know, if you're like, oh, I don't, it's awkward or it feels weird. I'm like, yeah, then you're not ready to, <laughs> to, right. to go there. Well, it's a great vetting tool, too. Mm-hmm. Like, if you can share your community, if you can share your safer sex needs and your and your sex partner can't or shames you for them, right. that's a great Mm-hmm. moment to realize, do I want to be sharing yeah. my body with this person anyway? And again, like that doesn't mean that everybody has to be, you know, sex nerds to the to max mm-hmm. to be able to enjoy a good sex life, but it's how they show up for the conversation. Are they curious or do they shut you down? Do they mm-hmm. want to figure out what other options that, that where you can play together or are they only interested in their way or the highway? These are the things that you, you want to use to vet your potential sex partners because those are the people, like the ones who are showing up for the conversation, even if they're nervous or confused or or under-informed, if they're still showing up with curiosity and compassion, those are the people that are probably going to be able to show up for you as a, as a holy sexual person, not just the, oh no, the condom slipped kind of conversation. Right. Yeah. 
Uh, I mean, it, it's so important, I think, to the trying, like you said, like you don't have to know everything is just the willingness to be there to listen, uh, you know, and to really dig in a little bit and see like, okay, yeah, what does make me feel safer? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, a big thing I advocate for is it's, it's a wide scope. It isn't just like, are we using a condom or not? It's, you know, do I need the door locked? Do I need certain lights on? Do I need to know if your roommate's coming home? Like, you know, really getting into like what creates a space of comfort for you and how can you, um, yeah, be, you know, be respectful of what other people's needs are. Um, so let's jump a little bit into queer sex because this is something I've, um, kind of heard and, and certainly feel in my own personal experience is that there is a degree to which I think exploring outside of the heteronorms teaches you or provides you with more options than what are, I guess, the typical default of penetration and mm-hmm. what most people think of as sex is like penis and vagina. Um, because if you either A, don't have those body parts or for whatever scope of reason or identity or, you know, uh, those aren't how you, you maybe don't engage with those body parts, um, that there are other things, right? There's this huge playground of options you have to create pleasure. And so I'm just curious about how, you know, your experiences in, in the world of kind of finding yourself as identifying queer and, and what you feel like you've learned from the queer sex experience. Sure. I think you're, you're absolutely touching on it in that, you know, as a queer person, a lot of us we we don't have necessarily or we ha- we we don't necessarily have the same options so we have to be creative about how we figure out how to give each other pleasure the defaults are so pervasive though and and so i think that there's this idea that you know there sex is penis and vagina and anything else than that is other strange or just mm-hmm. foreplay um, and I mean, the word queer, right? The word queer mm-hmm. comes from odd. It's, it means other. And and that's where the reclamation comes from. It's like, I mm-hmm. am weird and I am proud of that. Um, mm-hmm. But it's it's basically kind of defying the, the, the typical heteronormative idea of what sex is. So I think that, it, you know, queerness is a gift to everyone to give ourselves, give ourselves a moment to really engage with the other person or people as other people mm-hmm. and as humans that have different interests. And again, like I've been with so many different women and what I love about it is that every time I'm with a different woman, like I love that even though, again, I, we're packing the same stuff in our panties most mm-hmm. of the time, it doesn't mean that we like the same thing at all. Mm-hmm. My ex-girlfriend and I used to just laugh about it because we couldn't be more different in the way we liked our bodies touched. And because we were, because we were, you know, m- a matched set of genitals, mm-hmm. we were able to kind of talk about it and be creative and, and have a lot of like exploratory, like R&D moments where we yeah. we're going to have a date and we're just going to touch each other and see what it feels like and see, and ask questions and do you like this would you prefer this um and it it gets you out of that that you know very st- strict kind of railway line of having to go from one thing to another and there's no possible creativity um and i and again like i think that even people who are heterosexual or straight can learn from that can learn from the different ways in which bodies like to be touched Mm -hmm. even a straight person who's been with you know multiple partners you'll probably find that your ex does not like the same thing as your current does not like the same thing as the next person that you date and the more flexible that you can be Mm -hmm. the better off that you are um 
And I think that that's just that's just a good lesson for life, just to learn right. to to talk to to work with the person who's in front of or behind you or above you, not mm-hmm. necessarily your ideas of how they should behave. Yeah. Um, and that's really important, especially as we we age. Should we all be so lucky as to age? We're going to find mm-hmm. that our bodies are different. What we liked, how we liked our genitals touched when we were 17 is not going to be the same, most likely, as when we're 57. And that's really great. Um, But we need to have a flexible mind and we need to give ourselves permission to relearn our bodies and our partner's bodies as we age, because we have, we have so many options, but we need to, we need to know that they're out there. We need to let ourselves have all of the options available to us in order to find the right path for, of sexuality with every partner we're with. Oh, this is so good. So, so many great things there. Um, a couple of things I want to circle back around to is you, you mentioned R&D um, <laughs> research and development. And so you mentioned in the girl sex book, um, I believe you call it like test kitchen sex. Am I, am I, Oh no, I didn't, but that's, that's a great phrase for it. I wish I had come up with that. (laughs) Um, So, so yeah, this idea. Oh, due dates. um, I call them due dates. Due dates. Okay. Uh Um, to just like try things out, right? Uh Like to just like, so can you tell us a little bit more about like, if, you know, for our listeners who are like, okay, yeah, me and my, you know, partner, we do the, we check the box thing. Like, all right, we Uh kissed and then we had, or, you know, Uh blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you feel like you could playbook it. You know, if you're like, Uh all right, yeah, I want to spice it up, but like, where do I start with this? Like test running things? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, this is something that can be great early on in a relationship, or if you've been with the same person for 40 years, and this is what I love about this. So basically an R&D night or Mm -hmm. test kitchen or anything like that is uh, you basically agree that one person will be the receiver and one person will be the giver. And the person who's receiving, you know, makes the space comfortable and good. And then the person who's giving will really just kind of touch in certain ways and ask good questions. Uh, And you're basically just trying to map your partner's sexual pleasure. So, you know, I could, I'll be doing something, let's say I'm, you know, like licking her left nipple and I'm licking it in a certain way. And then I can ask like, do you like this? And if she says yes, then I can say, well, what would you like to make it better? Um, Would you like more pressure? Would you like more suction? Would you like more saliva? Like, what would you like to make it better? And, you know, she can offer, or if, if she has a hard time knowing, uh, I can ask either or questions. And this is something that's really helpful for people who might be shy or who mm-hmm. might just not know what they like. Because right. I think some of the hardest parts about sexual pleasure is that we just mm-hmm. don't know what we actually like until you try it. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, you know, do you want more lube or less lube? Well, let's try more. Great. So we'll add more. And then we're like, how do you like this? Uh, we can play, you can play the number game, which is a really fun mm. thing to do, where it's on a scale of one to 10, how does this feel? And they can say, you know, it's a four. Like, you can say, great. Okay, mm-hmm. what would make it a six? Or let me try this and tell me where, it, where we go again. And these are all just ways to really draw a map of your, sexual, your, par- your partner's sexual pleasure. And this is why I think it's really great to do in a long-term relationship is because if you're in the rut, if you find yourselves running the same playbook, mm-hmm. this can be a great way to relearn. And again, like with hormones and bodies as they are, things mm-hmm. that you, you used to like might not feel as good. And suddenly you might find new pathways that you didn't know existed. And so by playing games, and by really giving yourself a chance to really listen to your partner's body yeah. and not expect, okay, I'm going to eat her out for 10 minutes <laughs> and then I'm going to put my penis inside. Like, really, like, we're going to just, mm-hmm. it, tonight's all about this person. We're not going to ever 
please pleasure me. This is, and this kind of takes that pressure off. And if you take orgasm off the table too, which I think is a great idea, Mm, you can, there's, there's, it just really becomes an opportunity to just explore and play and feel without any pressure to perform. And I think that that's a huge issue in so many of our relationships, this idea to perform pleasure, to perform orgasm, to perform you know, per- performing. And I think that if we can remove that from the from the equation, we can just give ourselves a chance to just experience and then find ourselves relaxing into new sensations that we may not have known about or we may have forgotten about or we just may not give each other enough time to experience. Yeah, creating these shared experiences. And I agree with you. I think it definitely happens when you let go of the goals of like, it has to go somewhere. It has to get to some like climactic point instead of just, yeah, relaxing into it and just being like, no, I'm kind of curious about this. I don't know. Am I liking it? Like, let me sit with it. Let me, let's try it for a couple more minutes and I'll see, you know, how it's feeling. Yeah. Can we, you know, being willing to make adjustments, I think, and not take it personally, like there's anything wrong or anything Mm -hmm. that you're not doing right. And just this opportunity of discovery, Mm -hmm. um, I think is, yeah, so valuable. Um, And absolutely agree with you. I mean, I, I'm 40, I'll be 42 pretty soon. Um, My, yeah, my body is not the same body. I mean, scientifically, like, you know, cells dying, regrow, it literally (laughs) is not the same body. But yeah, I mean, you know, just like, I think back to, yeah, when I was first, you know, having sex in my teens, like, just huge leaps and changes Mm -hmm. as to what creates joy for me now, you Mm -hmm. know, and I just wasn't aware then to like, oh, I want to breathe deeply. I want to make eye contact with you. Mm -hmm. I want to, you know, now I'm like, yeah, that's, that's a really big part of me being in that that headspace because I think our brain is you know one of the biggest sex organs we have mm-hmm. um, to just really really you know get in that that zone of of being uh, co-creating this experience together mm-hmm. and um, I no matter actually, how many partners yeah. you have yeah something to add to that is mm-hmm. that in this current time with with COVID and social distancing for those of us who aren't partnered. I feel like what you're just describing is a great way for us to reflect on what we want from sex. Like, what are we missing the most right now? Mm. Is it breath? Is it feeling somebody's right. muscles beneath our palms? Is it kissing? Is it, you know, fingering? Is it, what? what is it that we're like yearning for the most mm-hmm. in this very quiet time? Because that's a great idea for how to build that roadmap for for the future what you want from your sex life if it's if it's just penis vagina sex that's also great but Mm -hmm. odds are there's other stuff that you want right now Mm -hmm. and think about those things and think about where your yearning is really coming from because that can really help you unlock what's next for you sexually oh that's so good yeah what a way to use your downtime folks (laughs) way better than binge watching netflix Um, So we are about ready to take our next break. And once again, we are talking with Allison Moon, author of Girl Sex 101 and the soon to be coming out uh, December 29th, Getting It, A Guide to Hot, Healthy Hookups and Shame-Free Sex. You can find Allison on Instagram at Allison, that's A-L-L-I-S-O-N underscore M-O-O-N, Allison Moon, and Twitter at Hey, Allie Moon, a-L-L-I-E. So, uh, yeah, be sure to get in on all that. And, of course, girlsex101.com. We'll be back in just a moment.
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. The holidays are just around the corner. Do you want to go through another round of fighting and avoiding your family? Or are you ready to build the life you love? Intimacy Architecture is here to help with our Relationship Reset Program, which combines individual and partner sessions. Learn communication techniques, self-awareness, and shift your approach to connection so you can restore trust and enjoy healthy relationships with those close to you. Visit IntimacyArchitect.com to enroll. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Intimacy Architecture. We want to hear from you on the show today. Call in to 1-866-472-5788. You know there's a question you have or something on your mind. That's 1-866-472-5788. Feeling shy? That's okay. Send an email to intimacyarchitect at gmail.com. Christiane might be answering you on an upcoming show. Now back to Intimacy Architecture. Welcome back, everyone. We are talking to Allison Moon here on Intimacy Architecture Radio, and we were just chatting about, you know, how to really be in that space of curiosity and exploration um, and be willing to, to get to know yourself and your partner all over again um, or partners, if the case may be. And so you are also um, in a, do you use the term poly or open relationship? I know like everyone has their, like for me, I use ethical non-monogamy or mm-hmm. open relationship, but um, yeah, how do you term your your relationship status. Yeah, I usually say that I'm non-monogamous or mm-hmm. in an open relationship. Yeah. Oh, polyamory doesn't, I mean, that term doesn't bother me, although mm-hmm. I think that, you know, it doesn't work as well for me because I feel like it's often an identity label mm-hmm. and I don't identify as polyamorous. I, I am in an open relationship, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. So how did you discover that non-monogamy was the path for you? Oh, gosh. Yeah, young, actually. Mm-hmm. I, I found myself fantasizing when I was young about having two husbands, like young, young. And it didn't even occur to me that that was weird. Uh, And then I remember seeing an ad. This was, yeah, I was in high school at the time. I saw an ad for, I I don't even know what it was, Banana Republic or something. And it was (laughs) three models. It was a woman and two Mm -hmm. men. And the men had their hands on her chest, like, you know, holding her heart. And they were holding, Mm -hmm. their hands were overlapping. And the, the subtitle said, My Chosen Family. And oh. I had a like a like a lightning bolt moment yeah. of like hit with recognition, like yes, this is what I want. Um, and it was a weird it was a weird recognition because that just wasn't something I saw anywhere. And so of course I started watching every movie that had anything to do with polyamory. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I was in college, I was dating a boy, and I started falling for his best friend. And the three of us had just a very easy kind of 
relationship because there was just no weird possession. It was just that we were all, we all loved each other. Um, And of course, as college relationships go, it did not last very long, but it was really nice while it lasted. Mm -hmm. Um, And I found myself really just kind of attracted to that on the regular. Um, Then I came out as queer and I started dating mostly women and, but I never really lost my my desire to be with a man who wanted mm-hmm. to be with other men. Um, mm-hmm. I actually wanted the I like the idea of being partnered to a bisexual man, and um, and then of course I fell in love with a bisexual man, and so Yay. now I <laughs> and while I do not have a triad, um, we're mm-hmm. very happily non monogamous. We've been together for know, fifteen years now, and um, yeah, it's just it's always been something that's been natural for me. I've all, every partner I've ever been with uh, as an adult, I we always negotiate some form of openness uh, mm-hmm. just because it worked well for us. And um, that doesn't mean that, you know, jealousy didn't happen or bad mm-hmm. scheduling didn't happen, but ultimately <laughs> it was the right, it was the right, always the right choice. And I was very happy to find partners who got it. Um, and then, you know, and now I'm, I'm, I have a very normal looking relationship from the outside. We, you know, we live in the suburbs and we have a house and it's just the two of us. Um, but you know, we often have lovers, I mean, in the before times, we often had lovers <laughs> come over and stay and, you know, my partner travels a lot for work and I travel a lot for work. And so we would see our lovers when we we're on the road. Um, and that's, what's always been how it has been. And I, I'm really lucky that it was such a, again, kind of a natural thing from a young age that I was able to realize and, and start to find. Um, but it took me a while to find other people who who could feel that way. I think that, you know, mm-hmm. I got shamed for it in high school and it took me a while to find it. And I'm very happy that I learned the word polyamory, which made it much easier to find people. And then the internet happened and, mm-hmm. and made it just easier to find communities. Um, but yeah, that's that's a, that's been my path and I'm very happy to to have found my people. Yeah, I uh, I love what you said about bad scheduling because <laughs> that is like I feel like you know what are the keys? It's like good calendaring and communication are really you know vital. Like sex yeah. is like probably pretty low, at least in my world, on the totem pole of like what it takes to make a non-monogamous relationship work. It's like you know it's all about oh, yeah. like calendaring and communication. Yeah, and like the, the emotional stuff is is, is the right. emotional problems are real, just like any for monogamous people. Mm-hmm. But the the logistical stuff is the hardest part. A lot of the times and and it's just it's funny because it's the least glamorous possible thing people think of it as like a non-stop orgy and sometimes <laughs> it can feel that way but yeah. most of the time it's definitely more of a google calendar will save the day yeah absolutely um and i, I think there is you know a, a great deal of shame i mean i feel like it's certainly shifting thankfully around the whole idea of non-monogamy um but i, I you know i certainly got shamed for this idea of like you know, wanting too much, wanting to like have my cake and eat it too would be something I'd hear a lot when I was like first explaining to people. And I'm like, and why are you saying that? Like, it's a bad thing. And I think it kind of goes back to this whole idea of like the shame around having pleasure, you know, like mm-hmm. what the fuck do I want cake for if I can't eat it? Like who does that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely like, I think that a lot of people, a lot of the judgments that come from people who don't understand, you know, the lifestyle choice of non-monogamy or or anything is from people who don't get it or who've seen it done badly and feel that this is a terrible Mm -hmm. choice, but also just the, you know, people who think that, 
you know, you should like that. It, for, I mean, this is kind of a digression, but for me as a woman, not having children means I'm selfish. Mm. Uh, being bisexual means I'm selfish. Being mm-hmm. non-monogamous means I'm selfish. It's like no, it means that I'm I know myself and I know what I want from my life. Right. Those things aren't selfish. Um, but I think that again, we tend to shame other people for for choices that we feel like we might not have been able to make for ourselves. And it's helpful to pay attention to where those things are coming from and to think like. The people who are shaming me for my bisexuality or my non-wanting children might be people who wish that they could have bisexual identity or not have children. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's I think it's okay to admit that. And it's okay to realize that. Um, and I think it's important to to dig deeper into those where those negative messages are coming from. Right. Question these default choices that uh, that you were handed and exactly. see if that really fits fits your world. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to segue a little bit into this idea of, of consent culture and, and consent conversations. Um, I was recently reading Barbara Walters' memoir, and I was like kind of disturbed by this whole section where she talks about pretending to be asleep because that's what good girls did. Mm. And I'm just like, oh, man, thank God we, you know, we've come as far as we have. And obviously, there's still work to be done. But I was like, oh, poor Barbara. Like, mm. you should not have had to go through that. Like, you, mm. you know. Um, and to be able to have these conversations in a way that is curious and flirty and fun. What are your thoughts on, on how to make consent and boundaries sexy? Well, again, like consent is talking about what you want. And I like to th- would like to think that talking about what we want with people who have their own sexual wants is an opportunity for sexy conversation, right? Because we're really just laying all the things on the table that we're into mm-hmm. um, and that we'd like to ha- experience. Um, and, of course, the things that we don't want to experience and just talking about those things. And, again, when we are flexible, when we have a range of sexual things that we like and that we can do, that means that there's a lot more on the table. Again, I think a lot of the the really screwed up sex, like consent issues come from people thinking that sex looks like only one thing. Mm-hmm. So a really hot makeout session doesn't count. So we have to get penis and vagina sex or else this night was was a bust, right? Yeah. Or that, you know, we the only thing that will determine our validity as a sexual person is getting laid that night. Mm. And when we separate ourselves from that narrative and when we're able to consider other options and consider other options for success and consider other ways of getting validated sexually and consider other ways of enjoying somebody's body, we have so many more places to meet and those places mm. can be incredibly sexy. Yeah. So, of course, consent is not just sexy. Consent is essential. Mm-hmm. Um, but consent can also be incredibly sexy. We can we can talk about it in terms of, like, what turns us on, what we want, what I can't wait to do with you when we get home tonight. Like, how is that conversation not sexy? <laughs> like, right. I think that this, it's, it's so, so many opportunities for just negotiating for the fun stuff. Um, I think one of the things that I talk about in getting it, and this might be one of the most controversial parts of the book, is that I we talk about enthusiastic consent as though it's this magic bullet against rape culture, right? Mm. And I think it's it's important to understand that, yes, enthusiasm is a really great idea around how to determine whether or not something is consensual. However, enthusiastic consent isn't the whole thing because 
it's not just no means no and yes means yes. It's that we can have our own reasons for engaging with sex with somebody. Mm -hmm. And those reasons don't have to be the same as the other person's reasons. We just have to name them and know what they are and, and own them. And right. so, you know, if you are in the closet, it can be very hard to have enthusiastic consent because you're nervous or you're ashamed mm. of your of your orientation. That doesn't mean that you're not consenting to the sex, right? Yeah. Uh, if you're in engaging in sex work, you know, you you might not be enjoying the sex, but you really mm -hmm. enjoy paying your rent. So mm -hmm. that's that's also where enthusiastic consent is a little bit weak. Yeah. I think that we have to just really be willing to own our reasons and take responsibility for our choices. And that's where I think the real room for consent really becomes interesting and fun because now we're like, okay, where are we, where are we meeting in the middle, regardless of our reasons? What do we want to experience together that can be fruitful and engaging in a way that feels and make, makes us both leave the experience feeling better. Um, and those, those can be different reasons, but we just need to know what they are. Oh, so good. Yes. I mean, cause it's, it's creating trust, you know, it's trust in yourself, you know, the ability to express yourself, to be aware and then trusting also, yeah, that your partner is, is doing the same thing. So if everyone's taking care of themselves, then you can really be in that pleasurable moment. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I just think there's like, there's nothing sexier than somebody who knows what they want, you know, and is willing to say like, this is where I'm at. Mm -hmm. um, so we just have a couple minutes left. Um, I want to be sure we get all the info to everybody so they can find you because this getting it book, I mean, I'm sure it's going to be awesome. Um, I'm definitely on the pre-order list already. And if you're not a reader and you want to listen to it, it will be also out in audio. So you can pre-order the audio, all that good stuff on Amazon. Um, and you can also get it direct through your website as well, which is girlsex101, that's the number, 101.com backslash getting it getting it is a guide to hot healthy hookups and shame-free sex i think you've gotten some great tips here tonight about how to have shame-free sex and good conversations about sex thank you so much for that allison i really appreciate it <laughs> thank you yeah so any closing thoughts any uh last takeaway you want to give our listeners well, I mean, I think that just to say that, you know, in getting it and just in general, like I consider casual sex to be sex that is about sex for sex's sake, sex that's uh, that affirms our sexual identities and, and really just kind of celebrates sexuality as itself. It doesn't have to be cheap. It doesn't have to be, you know, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, although it certainly can be if you want it to be. Um, but I think that the, the most important thing I, I talked teach all of my students about and I, I, I try and impart in the world is that just try and give yourself permission to dig into your reasons and dig into your shame and just approach yourself with curiosity mm. and compassion and just really give yourself the chance to explore yourself like you would a person you have a massive crush on. You want to learn everything you can about that person. You want to understand them and what makes them tick. You want to spend a lot of time with them. And I think it would be behoove everyone to give ourselves that same interest and curiosity and to take stock of what our, our excites us and to approach our, our turn-ons with curiosity and to interrogate why we like a certain kind of porn or or why we're attracted to certain kinds of partners and that can and from a place of just really just trying to explore and understand ourselves because that's a really great starting place for 
either learning about your sexuality in the first place or relearning about it, you know, decades after you started having sex for the first time, um, because it's ne it's never too late. I've had students come into my classes who are in their 80s who had never had orgasms before, never was with somebody of the same gender before, and they they they're making up for lost time. <laughs> and so I think that there's there's certainly no age limit on casual sex, on sexual exploration. I think that there this is a lifelong thing for all of us and we should all be so lucky to give ourselves permission to try it. Oh, so good. Yes. I mean, we're all here because of sex, so absolutely, <laughs> you know, always keep exploring and enjoying your sex life well thank you again for being here our guest this evening has been allison moon you can find her on instagram at allison a-l-l-i-s-o-n underscore moon and on twitter at hey ally a-l-l-i-e moon uh book is coming out on december 29th getting it highly recommend it thank you for being here again allison have a great evening thank you thank all for listening thank you bye Thank you for tuning in and being part of Intimacy Architecture. Join Christiane Bella for the next show. We're live every Friday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now go enjoy the weekend.